0: Hello, and welcome to Chinwag with me, Mike Laverick. Um, following a kind of series of Chin Wags, which I've kind of called the infrastructure wag, which is a pun on the word frustration and the word infrastructure. I like to sort of make my new words. And I've been asking people about the frustrations of infrastructure ever since. So um, with me today, I've got Ed Halecki, um, who actually has been on the Chinwag uh, before. But for the benefit of people who perhaps didn't tune in uh, previously, Ed, can you say hi to everyone? And can you give us a bit of detail about who you are, where you came from, and how you got to be where you are now? So flesh out who you Uh, are.
1: Well, hello. My name is Edward Kolecki. I'm an author of of three virtualization books, um, VMware vSphere in the Enterprise, VMware ESX and ESXi in the Enterprise, and VMware vSphere Security i um, securing the virtual environment. It's, <laughs> I write about security. I'm a guy that does that. You can look up my name on Amazon and you'd be able to find everything. That, that's probably the best way. I also maintain a moderated list of virtualization books at um, www.virtualizationbookshelf.com. It actually is a pointer to a couple of pages on my analyst site, where I'm one of eight analysts working for the virtualization practice, writing on virtualization cloud security, virtualization and cloud data centers, small and medium businesses. You name it, we write about it. And also data protection is my key focus areas.
0: Sure, and, you- I've been,
1: and I've been doing virtualization since, oh, gee, 2003 time frame, something like that. Did you, if you look, yeah, go on, didn't yes. you
0: have your own uh, event recently, the V Science event, is that right?
1: Um, that's actually been moved off just a little bit.
0: All right, so it's coming up soon? Hopefully. All right, great. Okay.
1: Well, more on that later. More on the, that later. Uh, but what I do have is I actually run the Virtualization Security Podcast, which brings industry leaders in the virtualization and cloud security realm to a panel discussion about various topics. Last week, we had Verizon on talking about their 12-step program for entering the cloud, right. which was rather an intriguing play on words for the 12-step programs out there. But in reality, it all is. There's a lot you have to do to enter the cloud safely. So is
0: it like one of those self-help books, 12, the 12-step way to losing half a stone in, in a week or something like that?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> it was really a self-help um, type discussion. And we have um, a lot of good people that join in on the podcast. We have Mike Foley who joins in from RSA, and we've had some of the best in the industry on the podcast, and we continue to do that for next year. We're almost to our 100th episode. Sure.
0: I should put you on my list because I don't think I've ever attended that. Is it a live call-in podcast, or is it? It is a
1: live call-in podcast held every other Thursday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern.
0: Right, okay. I should put that on my list because it it should be one of those things that I I do as just part of my week, I think.
1: Please do, and also um, you can find it on iTunes. Sure,
0: because I'm a bit of a security novice i would say but then again i'm a novice about everything so <laughs>
1: a neophy, a security neophyte
0: <laughs> yeah i might it's generally my strategy to say that i'm a novice about everything and therefore nobody can pull me up on how little i know about everything so oh i'm a novice on that area you know i if would
1: say true. you're not a novice on srm
0: <laughs> that's the one so, um, as ever with the chin wag, uh, there was like a kind of exchange of emails as we sort of uh, cracked some questions around, and I deliberately made my questions as flavoursome as possible in terms of their phraseology because I knew that would get Edward's juices going. So the first one is <laughs> here's a funny one. I, I've heard this this rumour, this terrible terrible rumour, that you actually like the term software defined data centre, and I was horrified when I heard this, knowing what, uh, how can I describe it, somewhat cynical you can sometimes be about uh, company brand <laughs> names and catchphrases and something. So uh, are the rumours true? Do you care to scotch these rumours? And if uh, if it is true, what is it that's caught you, your imagination about the software-defined data centre in the way that the other buzzwords that we've lived through haven't, you know?
1: Well, software-defined data center, I actually like as a term. And the reason why I like it is it defines exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to define a, a data center to be agile and, and move with the times. And a lot of ways you do that is through software. I don't like some of the other terms. Like there's another term floating around called software-defined security. And the reason why I don't like that one and I really don't like that one, is, is it makes security sound like a bolt-on once more. When really, software-defined data center is a chance to effectively redesign everything with security involved, with networking, workloads, applications, you get a, It's a clean slate. Mm. And that's why I kind of like it. And I also like the fact that, you know, people are thinking about heavily automating security right from the very beginning, not trying to say, oh, I'm going to just bolt it on. My biggest fear, though, is that somebody gonna, out there is going to latch on to a term like software-defined whatever mm. and make it their only product at the a horrible impact to the industry. It's going to fail miserably. It's going to give people a bad taste in their mouth instead of tying into something that is well-known, or not necessarily well-known right now, but a clean slate to, des- to pull everything together as one. Mm. That's the key. You've got to start at the architecture. If you don't architecture, in, architect in performance management, security, any type of performance from the very beginning, if you don't understand all that, it's not going to work.
0: I must admit, when I first joined VMware, I said to my boss, you know, this software-defined data center. First of all, how do we abbreviate it? Is it SDD? Is it SDDC? But I said, you know, with these particular terms, they do get hijacked by other vendors. And that happened with virtualization. Products that had really nothing to do with virtualization or were tangential to virtualization suddenly started to have the V stuck in the front of them or, you know, virtualization because it was a buzzword. Cloud came the same way. And I said to my boss, you know, won't be in two or three years time be looking for a new set of buzzwords to go around saying because... It'll be hijacked and for for want of a better word, bastardized by the rest of the industry till it then becomes as meaningless as the word cloud has become. And what he said I, to, I, what he said to me, he said, possibly, but maybe that's not a bad place to to be in if it's become so endemic. But the trouble with these terms is that they do sometimes lose their currency over time if they're Overuse or misuse, is, is that what you're getting at as well?
1: Yeah, it's really you can't misuse them and, and you need to make sure you fully understand what they are before you start pulling them into a product. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of people out there, software defined networking has been around for ages. Mm. To be honest, a software defined data center has been around for ages and various pieces. Mm. It's not in some entirety. The And we need to be careful what we do. I mean, software-defined whatever is not the answer. You need to have a a unified view of the world. And you need to fit everything into there instead of saying, I need a point solution for software-defined this and software-defined that. No, I need a solution for the software-defined data center. And I think that we're going to go there. I don't want to see point solutions. I want to see integrated solutions.
0: It's funny that you mentioned software-defined networking because if you actually... I think somebody that today, uh, very usefully on Twitter, created a definitive list of all the different types of software-defined networking there are. Um, and the list ran to about 15 or 20 different projects of which VMware has two or three. And I was when I was at the Swedish VMUG the other day, we were talking about it and I said, I think what you have to realize is software-defined networking won't be a single thing. There's 15 or 20 competing standards. And it, out there, it's a bit like... Um, I don't know, Survival of the Fittest or Darwin's Evolution. These are all well, creatures that are going to fight and some of them are going to die and some of them are going to survive and some of them are going to be siloed into a, a niche where they never go mainstream but they're still a significant player. It's not a well, single and I, and thing.
1: I, and I agree with you. It's not a single thing and that's what people need to realize. It's not open flow versus NVGRE versus VXLAN. I mean, it is... and Several others I haven't mentioned, but Mm. it really is a way of thinking about networking. Mm. I mean, once you start thinking along those terms and understanding the terms, then you can delve into the protocols and pick the protocol that's best for you. I mean, even today, automation around VLANs could be considered SDN. Why would anybody do that? I would rather not do it, but, you know, (laughs) VMware's some of the tools do it today.
0: Well, you, do, you, know, like you define a pool of VLANs and you consume that on demand. It's kind of software-defined networking, but perhaps not as… Uh,
1: not, not what everybody wants. Yeah. let's just say that. It's, and the thing is you'll run out of VLANs long before you run out of networking. So, so is, the second question… Understanding that, if that, that requires understanding the, the concept and then picking the product or the protocol, I would say, for networking that fits best with you. Sure.
0: So um, the joke I was making a couple of days ago was if the future is the software defined data center, does that mean that we're living in an era of hardware defined software? And the joke is, is that for for years, people have said, well, you know, a physical switch or a, a storage box. We're not really buying the tin. What we're buying is the software that makes that tin do something that's of value to the organization. Oh, oh so no, not at all. It's not a at kind all. of joke. So about what the obverse of this of that is. So
1: I read um, Palo Alto Networks has big iron firewalls, mm. edge firewalls, and they recently, very recently, came out with their virtual machine series or their VM series for specifically for vSphere. Mm. And the amount of engineering that went in to ch- convert their ASICs, their hardware, into software was a fair amount. Mm. So people define their ASIC chips and their, their languages, transistors and gates and things like that. It's a different language than coding it in code, C, C++, Pick, take your pick, whatever you're going to code it in, mm. assembly language for the best performance. So yes, I mean, those people that have done Big Iron, who have chips and, and things of that nature that they specifically designed to meet their needs, moving that hardware to a virtual environment is actually a very difficult task, and not one taken lightly. I mean, I'm glad you? that Palo Alto did it, and that we're going to get the benefit of their, their capabilities in, inside the virtual, virtual environment and the cloud for security. But all it does is extend their physical presence, which is a good thing, and also I mean, something you need to think about. Sure. How are you going to extend into it? And if the hardware is not there, forget it. Mm. I, mean, so all it is there. I wonder
0: whether there's going to be scales of it, because there are some virtual appliances, that's, the appliances that started their life as virtual appliances that never were physical, some of those uh, vendors on the VMware marketplace. But I guess the reason that they did that was it was the fastest route to market rather than actually having metal that you ship to customer. But I guess cool. what, what you're getting at is existing bare metal providers of those sorts of appliances, they're having to do an awful lot of re-engineering work to offer the same software in
2: a, a virtual
1: well, appliance. Alto had to do some re-engineering work and it was, I don't know if it was an awful lot, but it was non-trivial. Mm. Juniper on the other hand, they bought Altor, which gave them their the now Juniper VGW, so they actually bought a solution that works in the virtual environment and made it work with the Juniper OS and all the Juniper switches and firewalls, which is good. So they've actually done a different way of extending. You know, Cisco ported their ASAs to a virtual ASA again, custom ASICs to software, catbirds of the world, and. We can pick on any other ones. They wrote their own from this, from the beginning, scratch, and they actually used existing tools to do that. That run on bare metal. So as they've improved, if they don't do introspection, it's not really relatively new. Cafferty actually started from whole cloth. They they started with hey. Here's the problem, how do we solve it? Instead of saying, oh, I got this IP tables or this packet filtering firewall over here. Let's take it, merge it in over here, and now we have a solution. Now they started from scratch thinking about how they can leverage the entire environment. Mm. And that actually is, I mean, when you start talking about virtualization infrastructure and you should talking about data centers in general and what I've been looking at lately, which is the entire hybrid cloud, starting with your your handheld device, whatever it is, All the way over to through the data center to the cloud or direct to the cloud then the data center when you start looking at it that way hardware becomes part of this picture again Mm. you've got to consider the hardware you've got to consider all the touch points you've got to consider where everything is and you cannot just do an architecture that's based on the virtual environment and you can't do one based on just the hardware you've got to merge the two together and that actually can be really, rather frustrating because the teams just don't talk to each other. Sure.
0: It's funny that you mention this because a couple of months ago, I think Jane Rimmer, who's one of the steering committee members for the London VMUG, said, I, I really don't get this software-defined data center thing. Mike, you know, can you explain it? And I thought, well, I'll, I'll have a go. But what I did is I found an image of a data center that was just empty racks with no hardware in it. <laughs> and I said, this is what the software data center won't look like. It's not about." Having like nothing because you know there are other components that are involved in building a data center. But I just thought it would be amusing to have an article about the software-defined data center that just showed an empty server room with no racks in it and go. Yes, this is what the software-defined data center is going to be about. No hardware, you know. Uh, you know, you mean the
1: the one rack in the corner over there. Remember yeah. the IBM commercial where everything was stolen is like condensed into this one rack in the very corner. And, you know, if you think about it, the data center is nothing more than a switch layer. Mm. Right? I'm, I'm moving things from A to Z, wherever that is. And that could be in the cloud. It could be in my data, somewhere in my data center. And eventually I get to an application, wherever that application is. We need to start thinking about our environments as app-centric. Mm. I have an app on my iPhone that talks to something. That's the app. It's no longer I need a command line for anything, it's all I need an app for everything.
2: Hmm.
1: And if you think about your applications and design around your applications, you'll notice, and this is my opinion, that the data center is effectively one big switching layer. Hmm. Interesting. Whether right. it's for security policies or networking policies or whether that is software defined or whatnot, and really it is, it's all software defined, I have now made my data center, the switch layer, so that I can go from A to A to B, get my data and work from there. Now, I'm, granted, yeah, I have a bunch of storage and I may have some compute nodes. Though so you can't get away from that. But am I going into my data center, my bastion, or am I going somewhere in the cloud? Do you really care where your data is? Mm. Jurisdictionally, you do, but we're moving to the point where we need to think about being data center agnostic and just be where the data is.
2: Sure.
0: Now, we've touched on security already, and I knew we would anyway, but we we'll ah. have this specific question, which is, and this is how I phrased it in the email. So, I know security is a big thing to you, so without making my brain bleed out of my ears, what do you perceive as the major security challenges of the software-defined data center? And you have 60 seconds to respond. Good <laughs> <Thanks. laughs>
1: Data security, data protection of the raw data, and how do you access that data safely?
2: Mm.
1: So in the past, we've said going to the cloud, it's all about data security. In other words, securing the data encryption, um, digital signatures and so forth so you can know if it's been signed and changed or whatnot. But there's more to it. We have to also counter the access because the access path is one path into the data that could be used by criminals. Mm. Not only the access through an existing physical structure.
0: I mean, I think one of the things you flagged up a couple of times is the hierarchical model that we have for a system administration, if you're a tenant, means that you end up trusting an individual quite high up that chain, not to misuse or abuse your data because that, that administrator high up the chain has got all the keys to Kingdom in a lot of these systems, haven't they?
1: Absolutely, and if you're going to go to into, into a cloud or a hybrid cloud environment, you need to consider access and secu- the data security and the data protection of your data, as well as the data access. So a lot of what I've been working on lately is how can I plumb my tenancy with enough security to preserve, data secu- to preserve my integrity and confidentiality, regardless of who has access to the hardware. Mm. And that is using encrypted data stores, things like secure cloud from Trend Micro, perhaps, perhaps even using high cloud securities, secure um, data stores, as well as A4s, secure mechanisms. Mm. And if I can do that, and if the cloud provides me access to those tools, I can then provide a a level of security I never had before. Mm. And I'd now have to say, okay, data at rest handled. Mm. Data in motion, let's talk about, but data at rest is handled in case the drives Mm. go, in case someone gets physical access to the machines, you may have some level of security.
0: I mean, one of the things I've been doing in the last couple of weeks is getting to grips with the cloud director, and I was thinking of this particular issue of hierarchies, and I've been doing something which In the past, I probably didn't do because it's a lab environment. I'd be logged in as a system admin and I would just, you know, do all my configuration as the admin because it's a lab environment. But I've deliberately used all the roles. So I only do a particular task with that particular role. So today as a, a VApp user, one of my VApps expired. So I had to escalate that in my fictitious company to the organization administrator, who happens to be me, by the way, and said, I can't. My my VAT won't start up because it's expired or ran out of resources, I think it was. So my organization administrator, who doesn't have the rights to do that, then had to escalate it to the system administrator to say this VM won't power on because we don't have enough resources. But that system admin has the rights to do anything he likes to any organization across the whole of the thing. So I'm thinking of ways that that could be made more secure that, you obviously need a hierarchy because we can't have people down at the bottom giving themselves rights and privileges that they shouldn't have. Well, no. I, I don't need those rights and privileges at the top of the tree all the time. I only, Absolutely. Need, I only need them to fix a problem that the customer has asked for. Once I've fixed that problem, my rights should be should evaporate, like almost like a token, just enough to go in and fix whatever the tenant wants. But once I've done that job, that token expires, they can make it expire, and then suddenly I can't touch their organization anymore. Well, that's where maybe,
1: that's maybe where single sign-on for the new vCenter single sign-on may be used for. Possibly, possibly. It means a possible direction for that. Mm. And that's the problem with being a cloud administrator today is you you do have access to everything, and that is hard to lock down. First off, the admins don't want to go and escalate to themselves. They need to be able to do the work. Second, they need to be able to do it in a secure manner. But most importantly, they need to be auditable. Mm. So if if that cloud admin does do something that adversely impacts a solution or a tenant, it needs to be tracked back to that person so you can find out why in the world they did it and how to undo it Mm. or fix the problem. Should the org administrator give admins access absolutely it should be locked down like that look at Salesforce does it Salesforce you are the admin of your own environment in order for Salesforce support to even help you you have to give them a timed based access key
0: that's what I was thinking of
1: or look at look at the way a lot of these credit card credit monitoring companies work if you want your credit report open for a particular company So that they can give you a loan or do whatever they need to do. You can say, hey, here's your token. That's how you get your credit report. And they say, great, no problem. Mm. But it expires after X number of days or even a one-time use. Mm. So we need to start thinking about those mechanisms inside the cloud or cloud admins so that the organization controls more of their security than the cloud. Mm. And the biggest problem you have with the cloud today is that while the cloud may be safer in some cases, because clouds do security right, I personally have no way of knowing that as a tenant. Mm. I can assume they're doing it right. I can try to get all the monitoring and auditing logs to say they are doing it right. But since I do not know, and that right to audit isn't always there, I have to overlay my own security on top of it. Mm to do things that they may be already be done for me, but I just don't have the visibility to know.
0: Now, you've used the word that I was going to use, the word visibility, and I've got an analogy for this, two of them really. I was, a couple of months ago, maybe more than a year ago, we were, I was chatting to a particular hardware vendor about all this consolidation of networks. It's kind of tangentially related to what you're saying, but you're, if you bear with me, I'll get to the point. So you've got all this consolidated networking, uh, 10 gig links that are being like, Uh, bundled together and then going through uh, a kind of director layer and then onto your storage which may be at 2 gig and my worry was this pipe this massive pipe 40 gig whatever could oversubscribe this legacy array that I've got that's of 2 gig and I said to the guy is there any visibility that you can give me and tell me whether I'm oversubscribing downstream this particular resource and he said no and I said Well, that's a problem for me because although I might only actually be touching one percent of that two gig, if I can't see it, if I have no visibility of it, I'm then worried about it because I've got no visibility of it. No visibility means anxiety to me. I get worried because I can't tell whether it's a problem there or not. No no news is
1: bad news. Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, the other. you
1: know, a lot of people say no news is good news, but in this world. You're right. It's not. It, it, no news is not necessarily good news, and no visibility is not good news either. And by the way, there's several several tools they could use to give you that visibility. Yeah, exactly. They just have to get them.
2: Yes.
0: Now, the other example I used was when I first got my Mac, um, the first thing I looked for was for antivirus for the Mac, because that's what I always did as a Windows guy. And a couple of people said, Are you recovering? <laughs> I'm okay. Uh, a couple of people said to me, Well, why do you need antivirus? Uh, Mac is secure, you don't need AV. And I'm like, Sorry. Without the AV, I don't know whether I've been infected.
1: Even with the AV, you You won't know know if
0: you're infected. Exactly. But with no AV, I don't even get a message to say, hang on, the file that you've got is a virus attached to it. I have to trust every file that comes in and just hope it doesn't have a virus. I have no visibility whether there's a virus there or not. So even if the AV isn't great, even if the AV can be hacked itself and things can be passed through it, I'd rather have something that gave me some semblance of possible threat done absolutely no indication whatsoever whether I'm infected or not.
1: Well, and actually, I would rather have something that gives me positive results than false positives. And most antivirus out there today, its hit rates are horrible. Mm. Antivirus (laughs) is great for one thing, cleaning up a system after a virus is known to be there. And the reason being is is that they're all, except for very few, generally are... um, Keybase, um, they're search strings. They're looking for specific yeah, yeah. footprints. Yeah. Ones, that do heur- ones that do heuristics on the other hand of what's coming in and so forth have a better chance of hitting viruses. Sure. But I, but, that point, actually is, but that's also was- why bromium was come up with. So bromium actually puts your browser, your Outlook, your whatnot in a micro VM that you can, it can get attacked six ways this Sunday but it'll never touch the system.
0: Yeah, a bit like we used to do with VMware Player and things like that, Sticker. But I was going to say the bigger point was about the the visibility, and if you don't have the visibility, there comes with it an anxiety. But I think you made another point that that was important there, which is the best antivirus stops you getting infected in the first place. It's great to have an audit trail. It's great to be known when a breach has taken place, but actually what we'd all prefer is not to have the breach in the first first place.
1: Exactly, and that's that's Bromium's endpoint policy. Mm. So for physical hardware, Bromium will prov- – and it's actually right now only Windows-based hardware, mm. um, not Mac-based. But
0: but I was thinking more in the sense of we were talking about authentication models and mm-hmm. and having an audit trail if somebody has made a change and you now need to prove that a change has been made when it shouldn't have. That's great. I want that audit trail. I want that visibility. But what I'd like is for that breach, do not have second place in the first place you want to
1: limit their access to when you need it unfortunately you're going to get i mean this is the biggest problem we have right now and it's actually incredibly frustrating to me and that is is that the admins that are out there say they need it need xyz access they need root access they need administrative privileges when when it boils down to their job doesn't require it but they say we do things there, and therefore they get the access. Hey, I'm an admin. I have to have that access. Mm. And it's like, eh, not really. I mean, when was the last time you really logged into a vSphere console? It's been six months to a year for me.
2: Yeah. For me, I just well. did an
1: upgrade, so I logged in. because I wanted to check something, but I did it through direct access. I didn't go through anything else. Mm. So I have to have physical access to do it. Because I don't have SSH enabled. I don't have all these remote mechanisms. But even what I did do, I wanted logged. And unfortunately, with the current way we have things, you have to put in more software to get that logging. Yeah,
0: not to go off the point too much, but I think you just said something which I think is quite interesting, which is. You know, we often talk about users and the rights that they should have, and the users who only have the rights that is needed to do their work and nothing more. And this is the this is the basis of all administration. But I, as the administrator, I expect to have rights to everything, even though I don't actually need them. And it's funny how we apply the rule to users those people who don't know the shift key from the space bar. But when it comes to us, I expect uh, global access to everything. And Some
1: admins are in like that as well. But, um, <laughs> but no, there's a lot of admins that don't need the privileges they do. Or more to the point, they need them, but only in special cases. And you can get them through using vaults, um, key vaults and things like that, so that if they do need the access at that level, they can get it. But it should not be easy to get. It should not be something they do by matter of course. It should be, you know, you log into vCenter not as the admin. You log in as your user. We track what you've done. You do everything there. If you absolutely have to do troubleshooting at the console, yes, we'll allow you to do that access. But here's how you get the keys and the passwords to do it. And that should be an infrequent, at best, once every year or whenever there's a problem. I mean, I've had to do it three times in the last four years. Hmm.
0: I wonder also whether there's a certain element of the ego here about those who have access and don't have access.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I've got access
0: to these systems and uh, don't you know how important I am and I've got rights to this, that, and the other. I think sometimes people attach how important or significant their influence is in the organization to what rights they have once they log into things,
1: and I agree with you. I mean, back in I, I mean, I work with a few companies that basically I don't tell them what I have. I mean, I was I worked at a, I worked at a university. You never spoke about what access you had. That mm. was one of the rules of being at that level. Mm. Kind of in, um... in organization. You just don't talk about it and that's the thing is if people are talking about it and saying hey I'm something special because I have this access you know that for me would be kind of grounds for removing it
0: <laughs> I was going to say exactly the there's same organizations
1: thing. out there that if you even mention that you have access to X Y and Z
2: mm.
1: there's a good chance you may end up in, um, in hot water so yeah. you're not supposed to talk about it if you do have it and if you do have it you're not supposed to use it unless you, it's absolutely required mm.
0: Well, I'm thinking. Right now, the,
1: we're 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 into the enforcement stage of that instead mm. of the mentality stage.
0: Mm. I'm, I mean, I, I'm thinking of like security clearance that you get in the UK to work at certain defense establishments or security locations. You don't you don't talk about what your job is. You work in the civil service, and that's it.
1: Don't ask, don't tell. Yeah, yeah. So and anyway, even if- you don't tell. Sure. We've
0: still got time for one last we'll question. You <laughs>
1: We've
0: still got time for one last question, which is a kind of a little silly story. Uh, on Twitter, I think a, a week or two ago, I was, or I think on a blog, I was typing the word data stores, but I actually mistyped it and typed in data source. And I thought, ooh, that's actually quite an interesting use of the word. Uh, and so i tweet, tweeted about it, and uh Edward picked up on it, and even you even wrote a blog post about it um, yeah and I, I guess when i the word i guess is pain points around storage your data source uh is one way of looking at it, but how did you see this what did you how would you define a data saw and do you any do you see any data source inside the software defined data center sort of project yeah
1: actually i do I define it as a pain point around data, not necessarily around storage. Okay. In other words, there, there's a there, data is around us at all times. I actually was asked a question, should data be free or information be free? does it want to be. I'm going, well, it's just data. It doesn't care. <laughs> but the way we use it does care. So access and data. So to me, it's the sore or the pain points around using as much data as we have floating around the cloud. I mean, think about phone books. Your corporate phone books are on everybody's iPhone. They end up in iCloud. To me, that's a data sore. That's a sore point that shouldn't be there. Um, How do I manage that? So management of that becomes a nightmare, right? Then you go in, you go in, um, then you look at, okay, what about storage? Well, I have only so much storage. So, you know, that is definitely a sore point for some people. Then I got to start talking about deduplication and thin provisioning and all this. So getting that technology could be a sore point. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of anything that is a pain point surrounding your data. It's funny
0: funny how you mentioned that. I'm waiting for the 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 point where somebody takes an embarrassing picture of something on their iPhone and it gets automatically uploaded to iCloud. And because iCloud is linked to their Facebook, they post this embarrassing picture on their Facebook for everyone to see before... They even have that would, that yeah. would
1: be a massive data sore. Mm.
0: But I, I think, to be honest with you, we're not far off that actually happening. Oh, no, it's
1: happened already. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: I, I mean, so people post think, things people need to realize about the network is data never goes away. Mm. You go to Google and say, please remove all this data, it is still somewhere. <laughs>
0: There's a trash can for Google somewhere, and you have to empty the trash can, obviously.
1: No, there's the Wayback Machine. There's other things like that that you have to worry about. Data never disappears. So something you wrote when you were nine will show up when you're 50.
0: Oh, God. I had that this year. Somebody dug out pictures of me at university, completely hammered and acting like an idiot, as you do when you're in your teens. And they put it on my Facebook and they tagged me on it and all my friends saw this picture of me when I was 19 with my shirt off with a bottle of beer in my mouth. And I was like, oh, that's a bit embarrassing. But then I thought anybody who can't forgive me the embarrassing things I did in my when I was 19 and has a problem with that, perhaps should, you know, look at their, you know their ability to forgive, you know, stupidity. Don't, throw,
1: don't throw bricks at mirrors in glass <laughs> houses. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the no, whole no. concept of that. But the main thing about data stores is that it is, to me, it's actually an interesting term because there will be da- there's data stores all throughout software-defined anything right now, the software-defined data center. Mm. First off, just getting the software to define the data. We don't have that. Mm. And we only have it in small parts of it. Mm. the movement of that data around the world. So now we have to rethink or even around just one jurisdiction. We have to rethink is jur- the jurisdictional issues. That's a data store. We also need to think, rethink our management of that because our definition for data center is changing. Mm. A data center used to be a place where your data was. It was centric to your data. Now your data is everywhere. Mm. So my data center for me may be Salesforce plus my local place plus you know Amazon plus whatever. You know, I don't have to manage this massive data center that no longer really exists. That,
0: that's really really good that uh, the data center is where you de- the data has no center is not the- anymore. Ah, I like that. I like that.
1: And because the data has no center, data stores, I think will start popping up. If you think about um, that was actually, comment, the, the comment you came up with was actually after a conversation I had with um, um, Dave McCrory on data gravity. Mm. So I've been thinking about data gravity and think about where data gravitates to is going to actually end up being a place where you'll have a data store.
2: Mm.
1: And it's kind of like, it may be sore out here and it's a little red, but when it gets to that big gravity well... It's going to be really rad. It's going to be a really pain point.
0: Here's an example of, I think, of a good case where that has happened. It is happening already. Because people find it difficult to share data between organizations where there is no trust, what they will then use is Dropbox to share that data, Mm -hmm. where it's not audited. There's no trail. The sore is I have this problem of moving data to somebody who is in a different organization. I found an easy way of doing that. But because there's no compliance and no audit trial around it, it means that data could land in the hands of somebody who shouldn't get it. It's potentially a breach of my IP. All sorts of things can happen once somebody can share it could data be
1: breach. Them. It could be breach of jurisdictional issues. I mean, most people don't understand treaties that are out there or even anything like that that's re- country to country, even state to state. My, my
0: data store, the one I was data store what I was thinking of is, and it's to do with my work in SRM and now I'm looking at the cloud director. In SRM, my data stores are all gathered by business unit and by the applications that are needed, such that I can fail over a business unit or an application with that, within that business unit mm-hmm. without affecting anything else. Great. But when you go into the world of the cloud, and it's not just VMware who says this, you know, lots of the vendors say this, they talk about having tiers of, of storage. You know, your platinum, your silver, your gold, blah, 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 blah.
1: Well, it's actually worse than that, and that is um, you cannot actually even have tiers of storage and share it. You need to have organizational-based storage. Well, this and is the reason I... why you want organizational-based storage and while you may tier it across multiple layers you need a way of defining a volume of data that is tied to an organization. And the reason why you want to do that is not just for cloud-based technologies, but you want it for cloud-based forensics. Mm. If I have to go traipsing through everybody's data to find out what really needs to be there as a forensic scientist, I'm going to be going through petabytes of data and I have to do it fast. And technology just doesn't exist to do that. But if I had everything in a logical unit that i could say this is where it is Mm. then i can go and just say grab that logical unit
0: so i started off trying to balance these two opposing forces one is i want the granularity that srm sort of demands on a volume level but i want this kind of simplistic consumption-based model that the cloud supposedly demands i initially ended up with like 17 tiers of of different classifications of storage and i looked at that and thought you know, this is just too complicated. Then I looked at um, what I've got is something I'm not completely happy with, which is data stores that are presented across organizations in the way I I actually go, I don't feel comfortable with that. Now I'm thinking precisely what you said, that I need platinum, gold, and silver on a per organization basis. But I'm looking at that-
1: You you need a logical volume.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at that and thinking, if I have 10 orgs in my cloud, and each one of them has to have their own discrete set of storage times by the number of tiers by the number of orgs i have that then becomes quite a lot of storage admin to me to to get up, set up Oh, yeah, i think you're looking
1: at it, i think you're looking at it a little differently than what i am and that yeah. is, is i'm not looking at it from the perspective of storage in mm. other words i don't need multiple like separate physical storage for every tenant mm. I I'm not looking at it like that what I'm looking at is a way to carve up physical storage to logic more mo a a, a tenant based logical unit mm-hmm. whatever that is we don't call them luns we can call we don't call them VVOLS. we do but it's a tenant based volume logical unit of storage whatever that is and it can span anything you want but since I've put boundaries on it even logically I now can do SRM and other things on just the logical boundary. Mm. And that way I can I can alleviate data protection data source mm. for the cloud. I mean data protection is a huge data store anyways, but that's a different subject.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean the problem I have I think with my configuration is one organization could choose to overconsume one of my data stores at the expense of all the other tenants because they're all sharing the same classification and I know that's wrong I've configured it I've put it together and I'm going no that's not right it shouldn't be this way it's wrong and a part of me is unsure about what to do because I'm new to it and I don't want to go around imposing the way I've always done it to things and then another part of me thinks well maybe I need to keep some of the principles and some of the. best practices that I've inherited from the past in place to make sure I don't lose that. I guess we are looking at it from a different perspective.
1: Yeah, we are, and and I'm thinking about a lot of what we're talking about has to be done almost in a green field.
2: Hmm.
1: You cannot, you can use the concepts of the past, but what you really want to do is use the concepts of the past, but apply it to something new. Hmm. You almost need a new way of handling storage than what we do today. Logical units and V balls and things like that were used specifically to allow me to a divide up my storage and make it more efficient and grant x to y and so forth. so it was more of a one to one mapping or a one to many mapping but now we 're at a many to one mapping. Mm. So I need to be able to think about, I have X storage. I mean, think about how Dropbox does it. Dropbox uses the storage they have extremely efficiently. How do they do it? They own the encryption keys. Yes, everything's encrypted, but what they do is they automatically encrypt it using SSL on the upswing, so going up into the cloud. Then they decrypt it, match it against, do a checksum on it, and probably some MD5 or SHA-1, See if they already have something that matches. If it matches, they just link to it and throw it away. So it's a dedupe. Mm. But they link to it in it's an encrypted state. Mm. So you can decrypt it when you get it back. So if I had, say, for example, everybody put up the same song up on Dropbox, there, there would be only one version of that song up there and everybody else would have a link to it.
2: Sure.
0: Well, look, it's uh, coming close to the top of the hour, and I know you've got a call directly after our little podcast here, so I won't keep you any longer. Edward, it's been a pleasure as ever. I have I think I've come out with two or three ideas that I could work onto a blog post, so I'm glad that you've inspired me, because uh, the, uh, the one that I came out with is the data has no center. When we were talking about the data center used to be where your data was, I started thinking of the data having no center and that. That I think could be a very interesting blog post.
1: So it's, it's actually, a, yeah. that, that whole thought is crucial to software defined data centers mm. because it's crucial to software security, I mean, um, data security as well because you can't surround mm. your data anymore because it has no center. Mm. Mm. It's all around you. It's all around you.
0: Well, thank you very much for being on the show, and I'm sure I'll have you again. Um, Not sure when, but we'll make sure we do a mini-wag at the next VMworld if you're there.
1: Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thank you very much, Mike.
0: You're welcome.